Thank you, thank you. When I, when I shared in uh, Breakwater in the gym that, uh, that my brother had a, a baby and we have a new niece, that Ellen and I have a new niece, um, and I shared that the baby was 10 pounds, five ounces, all of the moms in the room, I don't know why, but they all gasped <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> um, but she's very healthy. We are, we are happy to, uh, to be welcoming a new niece into the family. Um, so throughout our lives, we, we get to make decisions, right? Our, our lives are marked by choices and actions that we make every day. We get to choose, you know, what time we set our alarms to wake up in the morning. Uh, we get to choose whether or not, you know, we, we press snooze um, and how many times that is. We get to choose what we eat. We get to choose what we wear. Uh, we get to choose all sorts of things. But I would actually suggest that most of our lives is actually a series of, of reactions, we get to re- respond to the way things are. We get to respond to the opportunities God has given us throughout the day, throughout the week. And those could, be, those could be super mundane, right? When the alarm goes off, we get to respond to it. One of three options. We can press snooze. We can get up on the first alarm, which only a psychopath would do that. Or we can bat it across the room or some sort of combination of those three, right? Uh, we get to respond to whether or not we've got lucky charms in the house. Uh, we get to respond to these things. And I actually wanted to start with a series of, uh, we talked about like crappy situations uh, around the table. I wanted to start by just listing like 13 different ones um, that you and I might experience throughout the day. And the reason it was 13 is because uh, if you had all these on one day, that would be really unlucky. So that was just a number that I chose. While we do this, there are pens at the table, probably not quite enough, so you can also keep track on your hands. Uh, if you hear this situation and you think, oh boy, I would respond well to that. Like, that situation wouldn't rule over me. I would have control over it. I want you to, to count on, on your right hand. And if a situation comes up where you're like, yeah, I would be really frustrated. I would probably lash out in some way, shape, or form, kind of on your left. Uh, and so you can, you know, subtract if you want to, or just make tallies on your paper uh, or on the bulletins. So, I'm just going to read this list of 13 as we go along. Count which ones you'd react positively to and which ones you'd probably react negatively to. It's not to shame anybody in reacting negatively, but there is something we're going to do with the numbers at the end. So be honest. The first one. It's early in the morning. You open up the cupboard. You grab the Lucky Charms out of the cupboards. You can assume what my favorite cereal is because I've mentioned it two or three times now. Uh, you grab the Lucky Charms and you, you pour them into the bowl and you put the spoon in and you grab the milk out of the fridge and you start to pour it and then you smell it. The milk has expired and you've wasted an entire bowl of Lucky Charms. If you, if, you would, if you would be frustrated and lash out, put a tally on the negative side and it could be in a small way or if you'd be, you know, that's fine. All right, the day moves on. Number two, you wake up for work or school. This applies to, to you guys too. You get ready, you shower, you get dressed, and you're about to leave, and you realize it's still four in the morning, and it's Saturday. You have gotten up at four in the morning, and you have gotten entirely ready for your day, and you realize you're not going anywhere, and now you're awake for the day, and it's four in the morning, uh, and you can't fall back asleep. So that's number two. All right, number three. You've spent hours, now that you realize it's Saturday, you wake up, uh, you spent hours crafting and creating the world's best uh, batch of chili, because you're having a cookout later in the day, or a family get-together. Hours and hours. You finally get it. You get it in this big crock pot and you're walking it over to the table and you drop it and you, along with your hopes and your dreams and all of your future, the chili goes splashing and scatters on the floor as you panic to clean it up, positively or negatively. I'm on your way to work. Now it's Monday uh, and you're sure you're supposed to be going to work. Uh, Someone cuts you off in traffic, making you not catch the yellow light, but instead have to stop for the red light in front of you. 
All right, this is for those who are in school or remember school. You spend hours doing homework and you get to school the next day and you realize you did the wrong section of homework. Yeah, we remember that. <laughs> Teacher, I swear it was an accident. Okay, you get home and you find that your cat, dog, or child has completely destroyed your couch and dispersed the remains throughout the house. <laughs> Number seven. How about you, uh, if you were to drop your phone down an escalator? <laughs> that has happened to me. All right, number eight. Uh, and this one is probably the most intense one for all of us. Uh, how about when somebody doesn't use their turn signal in front of you in traffic? Number nine, it's six in the morning. You're up for work, it's still dark, uh, and you stub your pinky toe on one of the toe finders, uh, which is the furniture in your house. <laughs> what do you do? Do you lash out? Do you scream? Do you avoid saying words you shouldn't say? Uh, or is it just another, another day? Just a few more, four more. Uh, number 10, during your lunch break, this is for those who have cars, uh, during your lunch break, you take your car through the car wash, right? You go for the, it's supposed to be sunny for the next few days. So you're like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the, the highest rated one, the ultimate. It's going to scrub the underbody. It's going to scrub my tires. It's going to put a nice layer of wax on it. And then by the end of the workday, either an entire flock of birds or one horribly ill bird has left you a present on the hood of your car. Number 11, uh, you spend three hours cleaning your house only to realize 10 minutes later your house is a zoo and it's, it's already worse than before you cleaned it. That one is probably more true for people with kids in the room. Number 12, you've been folding laundry for an hour and one of two things happen. One, you either realize you still have another load in the dryer and you thought you were done. Or two, your animal or child comes kamikazeing into the room and jumps on the bed, rolling in your clothes that you've been spending an hour long folding it and now you've got to refold the whole thing. And finally, the last one. The person preaching asks you to use your mental capacities before noon on the weekend. It is entirely unfair and borderline treasonous. So, uh, I just want to ask, who had more than like five negatives on that list? All right, sweet. Who had more than seven? Okay, good. There are some honest people in the room. I'm just kidding. Um, all right, so if you, if you add all of yours up, uh, oh, seven is the number. So, uh, the number of positive ones that you have Congratulations, you get to take yourself out to ice cream that many times this week. Deal? The number of negative ones you have, congratulations, you get to take me out for ice cream that many times this week. Uh, so basically our lives are, are full of opportunities and chances to think about what we're doing, what's going on around us, and to respond to those situations. Last week, Paul, uh, under fire, uh, under threat of death, and, and risking his life, decides to respond in a situation by sharing what God has done in his life. And this week, Paul takes it further by pursuing what Christ has promised, what Christ is going to do in his life. Paul recognizes a horrible situation brewing. The chili is on the floor, the dish is broken, and he's got to figure out what do I do from here. Paul decides to pursue what Christ has for him. We're going to see that in and through the text today. You're all thinking about ice cream now, like cookie dough and deer tracks and strawberry shakes. I think we should go out for ice cream today. <laughs> Word. 
So basically what Paul's been up to, uh, Paul has been uh, in Jerusalem now for some time, for a few chapters. All of his friends told him not to go, but he went anyway. And of course, things erupted. Now Paul has been in prison for two years after sharing his testimony. Felix, the governor, has been called back to Rome because he's not been doing his job at keeping the Jerusalem population in check. Felix has been called back. A new governor has been put in, uh, into place. His name is Festus. Festus comes into town, and we pick up the story in Acts chapter 25 with what Festus does. The very first thing Governor Festus does as he steps into office, uh, and we're going to dive in right there. So Acts chapter 25, it's going to be up on the screen. We're going to stop along the way and make some comments and see what's going on in the background. I want to encourage you to follow along. The, The Bibles at your tables will look a little bit different than what I'm reading, but you should be able to follow along. No problem. So we're just going to dive right into it. Stopping along the way. The first verse, chapter 25. Three days after Governor Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. All right, we've gotten a long way into the text. We're going to stop for a quick second. Only three days. So that's like, uh, that, that, so he gets into town and the very, very first thing he does is he has to make his way up to the religious capital where all the Jewish population, I mean, he's got some intense problems to figure out. He's got to figure out what's going on with Paul, what's going on with this sort of uprising that's brewing under the surface uh, among the Jews and among this, this, these, these, these crazy people called followers of the way. Basically, he's got to, before he even puts furniture in his new house, he's got to head up to, religious, to the religious capital of the area. Verse two, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews, the leaders, like the pastors, the priests, the fathers, the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, they urged Festus, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Okay, I'm sorry, uh, I have to share it. I I actually, I I didn't realize the word ambush was in here. Uh, There were were two cowboys in the desert. They were starving, like, like near death. Uh, they had no water for, for a couple of days. Uh, and and they're, they're traveling for days and days. They're out of water. And finally, they see this tree in the distance, and it is draped with bacon, just like dripping with bacon grease. There's bacon all over it. And one of the cowboys, just out of, out of sheer glee, runs up to the tree, and he's, he's, he's slain by arrows, by bullets to the ground. And with his dying breath, he shouts out to the remaining cowboy, it wasn't a bacon tree, it was a ambush. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't realize ambush was in this, in this story, and I had, to, I had to share it. Okay, so anyway, uh, basically, uh, right away, the, the Jews are trying to utilize the power that they've got in the area to kind of sway this new governor. Uh, basically, they're like, hey, if you want to do us a favor and avoid any sort of disruption uh, and, and commotion uh, or corruption, uh, do us this favor and let's, let's give Paul a trial. It wastes no time. And if you, got, if you can imagine how many, with, without a raise of hands, don't raise your hands, how many of you have witnessed somebody walking down a destructive path in their life and you see it coming? Whether that's a, a sibling, whether that's a family member or just a close friend, you see them walking down this path that you know is headed for destruction. And there's nothing you can do about it. I wonder what, God is feeling right now about his people, the Jews, his children, the one who he's given every single opportunity for grace, for mercy, and for justice. And still, this new governor comes in and immediately his people fall into corruption. You just imagine as a loving father seeing his children not just like wander away, but they seem to be running in the opposite direction. 
God's heart is broken. Verse four, Festus replied that Paul is being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. So it seems like Festus doesn't know the entire story. I don't know if he knows whether or not the Jews are planning to kill Paul. But he's like, all right, I plan on going down to Caesarea to check out what's going on. I want to invite you uh, to come with me, bring some of the authority among you, uh, bring those who want to bring charges against him. We'll get this all figured out in Caesarea. Verse 8, sorry, verse 6. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, uh, he took a seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. The tribunal was what oversaw the soldiers in the area, Romans, Rome's presence in the area. When Festus had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against Paul that they could not prove. A few things about these two verses. Uh, that eight to ten days, you imagine if you spent eight to ten days with, with a group of people who were all trying to convince you of something, that would be really hard not to be convinced of that one thing, even out of sheer annoyance. Like by the end of the 13 questions, I'm sure people were like, all right, we get it, we get it. Sometimes days are crappy, move on. Uh, after eight to ten days of lobbying uh, for and against Paul, you imagine Festus has is, is got to be close to the brink of just, of just giving up. And they start bringing many and serious charges against him. Now, how many of you have a, uh, have a brother or a sister, have a sibling of some sort? Right, when I was a child, I waited for the day that my parents would tell my brother, hush, let your younger brother tell the story. I want to hear what he has to say. Because, you know, as a, as a future pastor, there's no way I would bend the truth in any sense of the, of the matter. There's once in a great while when a brother gets to lobby against his younger or older brother. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. I'm just kidding. But of course, we wouldn't, we wouldn't take that opportunity to spread lies. We would invent an entirely new narrative altogether. That's what they seem to be doing. So, Paul urged, or argued in his defense. This is what he says. Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, or against Caesar have I committed any offense. I don't think that's all Paul said, but Luke kind of encapsulates the gist of it. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and, and there be tried on these charges? Before me? Now, Festus is back to playing the political game. He doesn't want to give uh, the Jewish people like full control over the situation, but he doesn't want to cause any unnecessary uprising. So he offers it to Paul. Hey, do you want to come up to Jerusalem where there you can face your trial? I know that's an important place for you, Paul, as a Jew. Um, and that's where you were before all this started happening. Verse 10. But, and this is, this is where Paul makes a big play here. Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal before the presence of Rome, where I ought to be tried, to the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourselves know very well. If then I am wrong, uh, if I'm a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I don't seek to escape death. Basically, Paul's saying, if there's any true, accurate charges against me, bring them, and I'll accept those punishments without resisting, without anything. I'll take it. I'm not afraid, of, I'm not afraid to die for this. But if there's nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. 
Paul, as a Roman citizen, has a right to go to the, the one who is supposed to be the only, only true judge over Rome. And so Paul says, all right, I, I, want, to, I want to recognize first that they're not, they haven't been treating me right. This trial hasn't gone as it's supposed to, but I'm going to make a big play. I'm calling an appeal to Caesar. He welcomes any charges that are laid, laid against him, and he's going to the one that can finally say yes or no to this whole case. Then... Festus responds to this when, uh, when he had conferred with his council. He's kind of new with this whole governing thing. He's got to talk to the people who are, who are offering him some wisdom and some direction. He, he talks to them and he answers, and this is so well put, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea. Now, these, this character has kind of come out of nowhere. Um, Agrippa would have been above, uh, above the governor, the, the, the king, um, and Agrippa and Bernice were sisters, but in a lot of ways they acted more like husband and wife. So they're brother and sister, in a lot of ways they acted a little more like, like husband and wife. Um, I'll, I will leave it at that. So Agrippa the king and, and uh, Bernice, uh, Bernice uh, arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king. Basically, Festus is like, I've gathered all this information. I'm trying to make sense of it. Here it is. And here's what Festus says. There's a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews lay out their case against him asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered him uh, that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face. I think, I think Festus is giving the Jews a little bit of a side eye, like you haven't been doing this right. You haven't met him face to face. And Paul in the previous chapters calls him out on that a few times, saying, if there are accusers, bring them to me face to face. Let's talk this through. So, to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. Basically, he's saying, this is the information I've gathered. I'm not quite sure uh, what it all means. However, I know that the Jews haven't quite been doing things right. Uh, so he's like, I'm not exactly sure what to do. What should I do? So, he continues, when they came together here, I made no delay. But on the next day, I took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. I wanted to hear what was going on. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in, such case, or in his case of such evils as I supposed. He was waiting for like, yeah, Paul's a murderer. Paul, Paul did all these awful things. Uh, and he's like, I, I didn't hear any of that. Rather, verse 19, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and, and about a certain Jesus who, who like was dead, but like Paul keeps saying this guy's alive. And uh, so basically Paul has now got it into Festus's head and the, and the Romans and the Jews. Now everybody is talking about this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, who was dead and is now alive. Like God is doing awesome things through Paul already. Rome is starting to talk about this person who was dead and is now alive. Like the seeds are beginning to be planted for the movement of Christ's people. So Festus continues, verse 20, being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go up to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. No idea what to do. King Agrippa and your sister wife, help me out. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. For a minute, I want to take it back to Acts chapter 9. 
When Paul was busy persecuting the church, he came in contact with the resurrected Christ. And this, this, this bright light, light shone around him until he was blinded and he heard this voice from heaven. This is when Paul was converted. When he realized that not only was he, was he persecuting God's people, he was persecuting Christ. He was an enemy of God. And he heard this voice talking to him uh, and this voice led him to a man named Ananias. Ananias heard these things about Paul. This is what Acts chapter nine, verse 15 says, go. Christ says to Ananias, for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and rulers and the children of Israel. I think in and through this whole situation, Paul knows that he's called to a special task here and that that task isn't done. Paul was told he's going to be preaching to Gentiles. He's going to be preaching to kings and rulers and also to the children of God. And so he chooses to pursue it even though it means he might end up in even more bizarre places than he's in now, which is under house arrest in Caesarea that he's been for two years. Now let's, let's look back at Paul's experience so far. He had every single chance once again to say, you know what, I'm gonna back out here. I've, I've tried my hardest. I've given it my, good, my, my all. Uh, nothing really seems to be happening. In fact, the scripture says uh, Felix, for the two years he was being held captive, he kept sending for Paul, hoping Paul would send him money. You imagine Paul's friends and family were like, Paul, just give up. You could do so much for the kingdom if you were free. Just, just, just give in. If you compromise just a little bit, uh, you would be free and you could pursue Christ then. Paul is relentless. Instead of choosing to compromise truth, instead of choosing to compromise God's call, uh, he, he decides to, to respond to the, the wrongdoing that's been done to him by saying, I'm going to pursue what Christ has for me. You imagine in and through there, he thought about it. He thought about bribing Felix to get out of there so he could go to Rome. Christ promised that Paul would preach in Rome. He's not any closer to Rome right now. You imagine Paul was thinking, all right, I could potentially do so much more for God if I was out of this place. So my question for us, just really quick, what are some of those, some of those temptations that we experience today? The one that I've heard a few times, uh, not like specifically to me, but just kind of floating in the air is that you could do so much more for the kingdom if you had a lot of money. And so we start to pursue that. We pursue resources, we pursue income, we pursue a financial portfolio under the guise of we can do so much more for the kingdom. And that might be true, that we could do so much more for the kingdom. However, God doesn't always call us to big things like that. Sometimes he calls us into the mundane with what we have. He called Paul into this incredible calling with what he had and Paul was pursuing it. Here's, here's another one. Um, we would be able to do so much more for the kingdom if we were famous. Um, I don't know why. Uh, some people have, have told me, you know, you know, if you try it out for the voice, you could be famous and you could do so much more for your church. And I'm, I'm just not interested in that being a guise for pursuing fame or fortune. But we believe some of these lies, right? The lie that Paul was tempted to believe was that his safety and freedom was more important than the call Christ had on his life. For some of us, uh, sometimes we believe uh, that financial stability is more important than the call Christ has on our life. Uh, that, that, that pursuing uh, a social image is more important for us than the, Christ, the call that Christ has on our life, even though we could be more influential for the kingdom if we had those things. So our challenge today 
seeing that Paul was, was, was audacious enough in the midst of hardship, in the midst of just a ridiculous situation to pursue what Christ had for him. Our challenge today, today is if we're willing to ask God to reveal his calling for us and pursue that calling with all of our lives. I, I, was, I was praying this week that, that somebody close to me, whether it was in Mosaic, whether it was uh, on our Tuesday night gatherings, whether it was, I don't, I don't know which circle it, it was in, but I was praying that, uh, and I felt like God was, was just saying that there's somebody who, who is hearing this call, like a whisper to say yes to God for something, this, this, this sort of call, and, the, and they needed permission just to do it. I don't, if that's you in this room, do it. <laughs> just, just say yes. You have permission to say yes to that. If that's you in this room, just, 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 just do it. Now, Three places God sometimes calls us to. The first is the everyday, the mundane, the, the job at McDonald's, uh, the taking care of the house, uh, interacting with coworkers. He might call you to that for all of your life, and that's wonderful. That's incredible. We need that. The second is God calls us to do uh, things we'd never consider, mission work. Uh, sometimes God calls us to far distances, and that's awesome. We need people to respond to that call and say, yes. And sometimes God calls us exactly where you are now, and that might be different tomorrow. So where you are now, uh, whether it's you're, you're heading off to camp, whether it's you're gearing up for school, uh, whether it's you're entering into a new uh, area of employment, uh, whatever it might be, God calls us where you are now. Are we willing to be a people uh, when the world whispers temptation and idolatry into our lives, to be a people of truth, to be a people who says yes, even if it means we'll end up in crazier places than we are today. That's our challenge. Are we willing to say yes to God's call? Father, you've called us all. You've called us where we are, you've called us to where we've been, and you call us to where we are going. So I thank you that Paul had the audacity where instead of backing down, instead of pursuing uh, the, the idolatry of the day, the idolatry he was tempted with, even though that was as simple as security, freedom, I thank you that he had the, had the audacity to, to pursue you instead of those things. So God, give us a righteous conviction to pursue your calling for our life, wherever that may be. If that's in the beautiful town of Zealand, if that's in West Michigan, if that's in Michigan, if that's in the United States or, or somewhere beyond this nation, Father, I pray you give us a righteous conviction to say yes in tangible ways. Speak to us, Lord. We praise and we worship you because you are worthy of our praise and our worship. It's in the name of your Son, by the power of your Spirit, for your glory that we pray. And all God's people said.